Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. It's hard to imagine a world where we leave future generations with fewer rights and freedoms. Since the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills aimed at blocking people from getting the essential sexual and reproductive care they need, including abortion. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves access to care, and with supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. From CAFE and the Vox Media Podcast Network, this is Stay Tuned in Brief. I'm Preet Bharara. Today we're going to talk about the biggest leak of intelligence materials since the Edward Snowden revelations. Earlier this month, the New York Times reported that a leaker had posted a trove of Pentagon documents on the social media platform Discord. The documents reveal highly classified information on a range of intelligence matters, including U.S. and NATO plans for the war in Ukraine. The Times identified the leaker as 21-year-old National Guardsman Jack Teixeira, who was promptly arrested and charged. My guest this week, Eric Toller, led the investigative effort that identified Teixeira. He's the Director of Research and Training at Bellingcat, a news operation based in the Netherlands that specializes in open-source investigations. He's also a freelance reporter who works with The New York Times. Eric Toller, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So one thing I'd like you to clear up right off the bat— who found and identified Teixeira first? Was it you in the Times or was it the FBI? So the FBI, um, <clears throat> we know this because in the charging documents, they've revealed it and the agent who was working the case. So the according to the charging documents, basically back as early as February 10th, it seems like they knew that Jack was the leaker. And they absolutely 100% knew in February 12th because that's when they got their request fulfilled by Discord, the chat app that we'll be talking about later, I'm sure. That had his name, address, and everything from his credit card, which was corresponding to the server where he posted some of these leaks back in October of 2022 and onward. The time story was on the 13th, the following day. Let's talk about a couple of things that I've mentioned and you've mentioned. First of all, for people who don't know, what is Discord? Yeah, so Discord is, um, depending on how old you are, uh, depends, uh, <laughs> there's different metaphors. So yeah. if you're a little bit older, it's something kind of like IRC, you know, like a chat platform. If you're a little bit younger, something kind of like Slack or Microsoft Teams. It's a continuous chat platform. Um, it was originally made for gamers, so you can do voice chat. So the idea was, you know, the in-game voice chat for, you know, Call of Duty or World of Warcraft or these popular games is not so great. So this is a separate app, like a third-party app, where you can connect with your friends and you could do a voice chat while you play video games separately. And it has is not just voice chat. It's also it's evolved far beyond just gamers, and now it has kind of like this kind of continuous chat rooms with different channels, kind of like Microsoft Teams, and it's been used mostly by young people, about one generation younger than me, which is about eight generations younger than me. Yeah, um, is it is it the kind of platform 
that's a natural destination for leaked classified documents? Depending on how old you are, maybe. I mean, if you're a 21-year-old um, National Guardsman who plays a lot of games, or National Airman, I guess, because he's an Air National Guard, who plays a lot of games, then maybe, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, it's when you think about dumps of intelligence documents, you don't think about, you know, a gaming platform necessarily being the the receptacle for it. But, you know, the this is a 21-year-old guy who had top-secret clearance who was handling these documents, so... Yeah, sure. Why not? That's where he kind of lived online. So why not? Yeah. That's where he goes. You post where you go, right? So Bellingcat, where you work, as I mentioned, is an investigative journalism group that uses open source reporting. Describe for folks what that means. Open source reporting is not, a lot of people confuse it with like open source software like Linux. Really the basis of it is open source investigation is doing investigative work on whatever it is. So it could be conflict, could be environmental issues, could be corruption, whatever it is you're looking into using sources that are openly accessible and verifiable by anyone with an internet connection. So this is not a new thing. I mean, people have been doing this for decades and decades, you know, going back of you know, public records and, you know, media reports and things like that. But now with the internet and everyone having social media and all that, there's just a lot more out there. So the way an open source report looks is not just, you know, here's a report on this war crime, believe us. It's okay, here's what we we assert, and here's satellite imagery, here's a photo, here's a video, here's a link to a witness account, and so on that backs up the assertion. What do we understand? I want to get into the identification in a moment, but what do we understand at this point about the motivations of Teixeira? He was not a whistleblower, was he? Not by definition, no, because he wasn't posting these for the world to see in the sense like Snowden or Chelsea Manning did. Like he didn't post this to like you know, expose you know, the U.S. empire or whatever. And there's a lot of very fascinating information in here. I'm glad I'm glad a lot of these documents are around the world because they kind of help us understand the U.S. and its al- you know, allies and, and adversaries, I guess, of what they're doing and how they operate. But he didn't post this, you know, he didn't send this to WikiLeaks or the equivalent, you know, DDoS Seekers, which is kind of like the spiritual successor of WikiLeaks. He posted these for his friends to look at a Discord. So if he, you know, in an alternate reality in which he sent these same documents to a journalistic outlet or something similar to WikiLeaks, he would be a whistleblower, but he didn't. He just kind of posted these in an equivalent of a group chat for his buddies to see. It's been suggested by some that one motivation was just to impress his friends. Does that ring true? Yeah. I mean, that's basically right. He was just trying to kind of show off and flex, but he had share information with his friends of like, this is what's happening in the world. You know, you guys are, you know, a handful of people because this is a server with 50 or so members, about a third of those were actually active. And of those active members, only a fraction of those were, you know, cared about the war. A lot of them just cared about just playing, you know, Call of Duty or whatever, <laughs> right? But of those people who actually cared about it, it was just kind of like, you know, like, you know, a lot of people were just tracking the war, just following Twitter and, you know, there's just like everybody else. And he's like, okay, well, here's kind of the inside scoop about this along with it. And that's where he posted out the documents. You said a minute ago, unsurprisingly, given that you're a journalist, that you're glad some of these documents have been disclosed. Obviously, the national security community and the Department of Justice feel differently. Do you have some sense of how much damage has been done by these leaks? Yeah, I mean, there's different kinds of leaks. I mean, there are a lot of these leaks where, honestly, there's not a lot of public interest in the world knowing about the exact ammunition replenishment schedules of the Ukrainian armed forces with specific kinds of, like, kinds of, like, anti-aircraft missiles. Like, that's stuff to where, like, there's not a lot of public interest in the world, you know, having this disclosed. Like, the same way that Chelsea Manning having, like, you know, atrocities against, you know, people in that, Iraq or Afghanistan. Like, that's obviously the public interest. Exact tactical information about the war that could harm 
plans and that forces the Ukrainian army to allegedly, according to what they say, change some of their operating procedures and, and their plans like that. You know, there's not a lot of public interest in that compared to, for example, one leak had, I think, signals intelligence from the CIA about, it didn't say the CIA, but that's kind of implied about how Mossad was like planning like anti-government protests, right? Because they, they were upset with how things were going. So like there, there's a big difference in kind of the, the public values on this knowledge coming out and kind of it's all coming all at once. So it's kind of hard to separate, you know, the baby with the bathwater, I yeah. guess you could say, with what's coming out there. But yeah, it's it's pretty different with kind of the public interest slash kind of things that are just damaging to the Ukrainian war effort, for example. So I want to get into how this unfolded for you. How did it come about that you got involved in looking at these documents and trying to figure out who leaked them? Yeah, I mean, just like everybody else, or like 99.9% of the world, I learned about these leaks in the first place when the New York Times posted about them on April 6th when they were saying that the Pentagon was doing an investigation into them because they had appeared on, for the world, and they kind of broke contagion into the greater world on April 5th when they posted on some Russian telegram channels who had just a very, 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 very small fraction of the total number of leaked documents. But they had actually been sitting around on different servers on Discord for at least a month before that. And as we know now from people who were on the same server as Jack, he'd been posting on them since last year. And then, so what did you do? So at that point, I just kind of dig into the chronology of, you know, this is their, their kind of final form was on these Russian Telegram channels. So Telegram is a popular messaging app, similar to WhatsApp, but like imagine WhatsApp with like groups with a million people in them, kind of like that. And from there, I kind of backtraced them. So I found that there's an earlier instance on 4chan, which is kind of the famous extremist troll board, image board, whatever. And then from there, I traced them back to a server on Discord for Minecraft. So Minecraft, the video game that you were probably, maybe your kids, um, if you if listeners have kids play. And then further back onto a different server for a popular YouTuber. And then from there, they were pulled from the uh, kind of the original source, which is Jack the Share, who's posting them on a small Discord server called Thug Shaker Central, which is something you, probably the first time that's been said on your podcast. <laughs> I think... I think that can you can you say it again because that was that was really yeah nice. Thug Shaker Central yeah so this is um, the original source of many of these documents um, and then one of the members and, and kind of going back the other direction one of the members of the server posted 107 of these documents there were hundreds and hundreds there's like at least three four hundred of these documents on the on the small private server but 170s were posted onto a larger server with like four or five thousand members and that's kind of how they got into the public circulation none of his friends or colleagues or compatriots on Discord or elsewhere ratted him out, right? Yeah, no one gave up his name or anything. So the one of the members of the server, a guy named Vaki, that's his pseudonym he goes by. He gave the interview to the Washington Post. Um, I interviewed him back on the 7th, I think. He did an interview with the Associated Press, ABC. He's done kind of a press tour. He was very adamant, like, I'm not going to, he's my buddy. I'm not going to give up his name. I'm not going to give up his identity, so on and so forth. And no one on the server would kind of, you know, rat him out, right? Because they were his friend. You know, they were... This is a small, fairly tight, you know, I don't know how tightly knit, but relatively tightly knit community of, a, you know, this little Discord server. They didn't want their friend to go to jail. But you could figure out who he was. The feds were going to find him regardless because they found, they got one of his friends did, I guess, actually kind of did because on February 10th, I guess I should revise what I said. They didn't tell the public. They haven't ratted him out publicly, but one of the members was visited by the FBI on February 10th. And he, they did tell him there was a guy named Jack who lit, who worked on a base in Cape Cod in Massachusetts who did this, which led them to him. So I should actually revise my statement. None of them have publicly to the to journalists ratted him out, I guess you could say. But the F, but one of them did speak to the FBI on February 10th, giving his information up. If law enforcement authorities knew or pretty much knew his identity, 
as far back as, as that time period. Do you know why they waited to arrest him? Did it have something to do with the timing of the New York Times reporting? I think that they were probably surveilling him. So we kind of had a good guess it might be him on the evening of the 12th. And then on the 13th, the New York Times sent a couple of people out, actually, I think three people out to rural Massachusetts where Jack lived to go talk to him. The idea wasn't to like dox him and rat him out and say like, this is the leaker, everyone look. It was to talk to him because, you know, this is the, the guy the who's, right. yeah, I mean, yeah, if it's the guy who had the biggest tranche of U.S. documents since Snowden, it's obviously a story you want to talk to the guy. And they showed up at his house at early morning on the 13th. And then it was very clear immediately he was under surveillance. So like they were like, this is the middle of absolute nowhere in rural Massachusetts. This is like a ways east of Providence, so like way like down the southern border of Massachusetts with Rhode Island. And there was like very suspicious, like at regular, like 30 minute intervals, suspicious vans and SUVs driving by the house, like surveilling him clearly. And they also saw a surveillance plane flying overhead. And we looked, I mean, we, we do a lot of work doing fly tracking and like looking for planes and like their transponders and all that stuff. And we couldn't find this plane anywhere in any tracking database. So that was incredibly suspicious. Maybe there's some leaked documents about it on Discord. Yeah, yeah, maybe if you look hard enough. So as soon as the New York Times reporter got there, they realized, okay, this guy is, he's under surveillance. He clearly is, you know, the FBI's got, got an eye on him. And then the reporters went into the mother's house, because I think he was living with his mother at the time, and want to talk. And, you know, they talked to the mom. They're like, no, we don't want to talk, because they kind of knew his their kid was in trouble. And they eventually saw Jack arrive to, I think, his dad's house, if I recall correctly. And then a couple hours later, soon after the FBI called the New York Times telling them, like, back off, get out of there. We're, you know, you need to get out of here because something's going to be happening soon. We're going to basically a raid is going to happen soon. You need to get out of here. So I, I don't know for sure, but I suspect that once they saw the New York Times reporters, they kind of realized, like, OK, we got to we got to go now. We might he might run. Right. Yeah. I guess that would be a because he's I mean, Jack, he's a, he's a gun guy. Right. So, like, you know, who knows if there's danger or whatever. Right. So I, I don't know for sure for, you know, if. We had never figured out that he was a person of interest. They may have just kept surveilling him for a few more days, right? Because seeing what he was doing, was he in contact with anybody else? Did he have more documents? You know, who knows what they were doing? But I think that once they saw the reporters literally on his doorstep, it kind of accelerated the timeline of the FBI. And then the raid happened shortly after we published that we knew who he was. I want to go back to the trail that led to Jack Deshera. And it's been documented and you've talked about it. But explain how... Once you had your eyes set on Teixeira, by use of comparing certain photographs, you became certain that it was the leaker. Yeah, so we found him um, in the first place because I was looking at the friends list on a platform called Steam. I'm introducing some of these, a lot of your listeners will know these things already, but for those who don't know, Steam is kind of like the de facto gaming store for, for games, like on games on computer. And it's both a store for games like since like 2004, but also it has a social component. Like if you make a friend with playing one game, then you can like continue to play with them and other games. So you can add them as a friend and then play on tens of thousands of games that are on this platform, right? I talked to four members of this server of Thug Shaker Central, and I knew that I knew the Steam ID handles or friend codes or whatever of three of them. And I figured because I, I talked to them, I knew that they play games with Jack. Uh, well, the leaker who turned out to be Jack. So at this point, I was just looking for but we weren't necessarily looking for the leaker. We were just looking for other people in the server because we wanted more documents, more information about this place. So kind of looked for the corresponding friends. So like, okay, these three people I've identified who of the like, you know, 1200 friends that they have collectively who are common friends, who, you know, who are intersecting friends with all three of these guys. And I think there were like a half dozen or so people. And one of them looked especially interesting, turned out to be Jack. 
because he had all the games that he had played. You can see like his activity and his screenshots and everything were games that other people had told me they'd played with him. And also, as we looked more into him, we found that because um, he had his name on one of the game, one of the games, Arma 3, he had his name Jay to share as his like little username. So it wasn't hard to figure out his name from there. We looked through the social media profiles of his family and we found some photos of Jack in our National Guard outfit and also some pictures of him in his, in his mom's house. And we had gotten some new leaked documents because we, we were simultaneously looking for new leaked documents to report on and also to look into more about the server and the people who were um, members of there. And in one of these new leaked documents we were looking at, they most of the documents were taken in Jack's, we assume like his bedroom because you could see like his keyboard in the background, his table, things like that. But on one of these new leak documents, it was clearly taken like on a granite countertop. Kitchen, like, like a kitchen, kitchen like a kitchen, or, yeah. a kitchen or bathroom countertop. Yeah. Right. And there was like a white tile below that. And we were kind of looking kind of kind of a, I don't remember who it was, some of the New York Times team, like kind of a light bulb moment of like, wait a second, like this looks familiar with the photos and the fan, like the sister of the mother, I can't remember which, Facebook and Instagram. It had like him and like on his like army fatigues with an identical looking granite countertop and white tile floor below that. So he looked and got more photos, kind of more zoomed in view of the countertop. And eventually, Christian Trebert, who is part of the New York Times visual investigation team, formerly of Bellingcat, so we kind of a, we have a bit of a pipeline. He notices some of the like the speckles. I think the word is speckles, like little like dots or whatever of the, the granite. granite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That matched up like exactly. It's like the granite DNA. Or the granite, yeah, there you go. Yeah, or like fingerprint. Yeah, yeah. exactly. The granite fingerprint matched up exactly between the background of one of the documents and also in some photos from the family's house. Right. So just to be clear, so there was that same granite countertop. In a photograph of Jack, self-identified, mm-hmm. and a photograph of the documents without in Jack. The background in the of the documents, yeah. And this wasn't like by itself. This wasn't like a hundred percent grand slam because I'm sure that there's this. This is not a completely unique fingerprint. Like I think that I'm. I'm guessing. I don't know for sure, but it's probably designed as replicated elsewhere, right? Right. But it's not unique like a fingerprint. Yeah, but everything combined, right? That. Plus the fact he's in the U.S. Air National Guard and that he was on this server, he has common friends with these people, made it to where we definitely want to talk to this guy. So when the New York Times reporter went to, to his house on the morning of the 13th, it wasn't necessarily like, you are 100% the leaker, we need to talk to you now. It's like, you're a very strong candidate to be the leaker, we'd like to chat with you. Um, <laughs> you're in the running. You're in the running, you're, at, you know, you're, in, you're in the final, Yeah, you're going to make the cut. And so but we, the way they're going to approach isn't necessarily like, give a leak or talk to us. It's more like, hey, we think you might have been on the server. Can you tell us more about this? You have more leaked documents you can share with us. Do you want to chat about it? You, you, you know, just talk to him, right? He's, he's worth a conversation. But then things escalated very, very quickly when we realized, oh, the FBI is like about the raid of this guy's house. What do you make of the question that many, many people are asking? And that is, what is a 21-year-old Air National Guardsman doing with sufficiently high clearance that he gets access to these sensitive documents and has the ability to post them. It's, I know, it's strange. I, I, I honestly don't. I'm not enough, not much of a national security guy, so I don't know about the necessity of it. But like, it is a little strange that like, I've seen some numbers. So wasn't there an audit recently that like a few years ago that like two or three million people yeah. have access to like top secret documents? It's some is, high it's number. Like, it's definitely in the seven figures. Yeah, it's like basically like one, like a, a like maybe a whole number percentage of the country, right? One percent of the country or something has access to this stuff, and it seems kind of nuts, right? That that many people. So I don't know if there's an issue of like it's a 21 year old guy as much as like does you know does these number of people really need to have access? And plus, I mean, but in the unit he was working on, um, in the Air National Guard Intelligence Wing, I mean, like they, you know, a lot of these intelligence wings in the Air National Guard do intelligence work, right? 
and some of the leaked documents, like some of the documents in the, in the tranche have been prepared by Air National Guard units in North Dakota, for example, who are doing like visual analysis of like, you know, artillery strikes and things like that. So I, again, I don't know, maybe they need to f- figure out how to like do clearance screenings a little bit better. Like maybe they, when they did like social media clearance, you know, like send me your Instagram, your Facebook and your Twitter. Right. But they don't care so much about your, <laughs> I don't know if you have an account on Discord or whatever, but even then, I mean, it's not like you could, Discord's a private, it's like a private group. It's not like, it's like send me your WhatsApp name and you can't see what, you know, content of all your WhatsApp channels if you know someone's phone number, right? It's, it's, unless you were like the NSA doing like very creepy surveillance, like you can't like see into the hearts of these, you know, of someone doing clearance applications. Are there any questions that you still have about this story? Yeah. I mean, we're, one thing we're still looking into is if there's earlier versions of this, if this is actually the very, very, very first place these documents popped up. More about the server. So, like, you know, there's been a lot of questions around, like, you know, where exactly the makeup of the server, you know, what was his motivations of doing it. And also, just really the thing of more interesting, just more of these documents and more of this information, just finding, because I mean, this is a fascinating glimpse of kind of, you know, secret knowledge, right? Of what's in, what's in these intelligence reports. So, more than anything, I just want to find more of these documents and, and see more reporting on them. Before I let you go, final question, Eric, are you a gamer? Uh, yeah. Um, why do why I, do you hesitate to answer that? Question? Well, yeah, I was I was I was thinking I was <laughs> I was joking with one of these. When I was talking to with some people on the server, and this um, this guy was like seventeen, eighteen, and my I have a Steam account. Like Steam, I mentioned earlier, is like this gaming platform, and my Steam account is nineteen years old. And I was telling them like my Steam account is older than you, <laughs> so because I'm I'm thirty four, so I, I got that account when I when I was like in high school. So I'm not super active on Discord. Like I said, I'm about a generation too old with the games I'm playing. But also these kids, if they if they play me, they'd actually they massacre me if they played me in any of these games too. So I my reaction, my my reaction speed has has um, gone way too slow. So yeah. Well, st- stick with the reporting. You're doing a great job. Oh yeah. I'm not gonna be a programmer anytime soon. Eric Teller, thanks again for coming on the show. Thanks for your work. Thanks. Stay Tuned is presented by CAFE and the Vox Media Podcast Network. The executive producer is Tamara Sepper. The technical director is David Tattashore. The senior producers are Adam Waller and Matthew Billy. The CAFE team is David Kurlander, Sam Ozer-Staden, Noah Azulai, Nat Wiener, Jake Kaplan, Sean Walsh, Namata Shah, and Claudia Hernandez. Our music is by Andrew Dost. If you like what we do, Rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Every positive review helps new listeners find the show. Send me your questions about news, politics, and justice. Tweet them to me at Preet Bharara with the hashtag AskPreet. Or you can call and leave me a message at 669-247-7338. That's 669-24-PREET. Or you can send an email to letters at cafe.com. <laughs>